Hello and welcome to this episode of the Education Insider. Uh, this is Jacob Hansen, your host. I'm the CEO at PRP Group, and I'm super excited for today's conversation with somebody who's been very important to me for, well, all of my life, my ever-talented sister, Ali Alawanle. We're going to cover some really great converse, uh, topics today around diversity, equity, inclusion. I don't really have a desired outcome. I think the big thing for me is just to raise awareness around some of the things that are important when you think of, you know, everything that falls under DEI. Part of what I wanted to really just ask too is, is it okay if I brag a little bit? Sure, go for it. <laughs> awesome. For all of you out there who don't know this, my sister, Ali Alawanle, is not just... um any teacher. She was a teacher of the year candidate here in Minnesota. She's a gifted education teacher. She's going to have to tell you all the letters that go after her name as well, because she's got quite a few of those. But I think, Allie, one of the things when I was digging around on Google about my own sister here, um, <laughs> I found was the Joyce Gustafson Memorial Award. So maybe we could just start there. You know, it's a, a teacher who demonstrates a special commitment to students creativity and teaching and support for colleagues. So the award, the Joyce Guff system was really important because it's only awarded to one person in the district. And so, and what's kind of fun about this award is it, it's a surprise and it happens once a year and there's great people who have gotten it every year. And I just never expected that I would get something. I kind of just do my own thing in my classroom and try to make impact, love on my kids, love on their families. So you have no idea. So my principal's like, oh, I need to have a call with you. And I thought I was in trouble, actually. <laughs> and thinking the whole time, what could I be in trouble for? Oh, no. Sweating behind the knees. And then she gets on and she's talking in a real serious voice. And all of a sudden, the superintendent gets on the Google Meet call. And I'm like, oh, I'm in even in bigger trouble than I thought. <laughs> and so then they surprised me, told me like just what a great job I was doing. And it just blew me away. What's really cool about it too, which I didn't know, which I found out later actually, is that you're voted on by your peers. So that's mm -hmm. even neater. Wait a minute. Hold on a minute. Neater? Is neater a word? You're a teacher. Is neater a word? Oh, maybe that's not. That's neater than you? <laughs> I'm neater than you. No, I, <laughs> so no way. I, I don't want to get too distracted here, but we're here, I think, to talk about some really important things as well. And yes, let's um, get into it. Well, you know, one of the things I realized, uh, you know, when I committed in our you know, last show of, hey, I'm going to bring my sister on here is that I've never even asked you, what's your journey to get the DEI coordinator? Like, why, why is that something that you wanted to do? It's always been really important to me that every child in my classroom that comes into my arms is seen and valued and treated with respect. And every child has their own opportunity and no child is seen better than the other. And that that's not always the case. And that breaks my heart. And so that really is what got me started. Also thinking of my own children, I have three little ones and how I want to make a change for them and make a change for the other kids in schools all over. Is it fair? Like, I mean, I guess you and I grew up in the same house in the same community we went to the same schools for the listeners out there my sister and I look very different I'm you know much taller than her I carry a little bit extra weight but she also is Korean American I, I don't think I ever realized what a different experience you had growing up in the pretty much all white community that we grew up in I, I don't know if it ever even dawned on me till we became adults definitely I had I, I never felt like I really belonged in school 
I liked it okay. And I had people there that I was friends with. You did well. Yeah, I did well. I did well in school academically, but there was a time probably it hit right around like sixth grade. And and I always thought, oh, it was just like those angsty middle school years. But then in retrospect, I realized that no, I didn't never, I just didn't feel like I belonged. And I was lashing out and I was talking back to teachers and, and just finding any way I could possibly have conflict with other people in the school, adults students because I just didn't feel like I belonged. And that was my way to kind of, I think, deal with that. Um, so just trying to make people's, making kids experience better than mine too, is definitely a huge piece. So thank you for bringing that up, Jake. Absolutely. Well, and yeah, you know, I, I do want to get to kind of what is, you know, a lot of the folks listening are the folks that may be, you know, the, the hearts and minds behind curriculum that are coming into the schools. And so I'd love to just get your take on what role do, in your eyes, do those companies have in, in creating that experience or, you know, making every child feel, you know, like they belong? I think they have a huge responsibility because especially for new teachers who come into schools, they don't have lesson plans. They haven't created anything and they really rely on curriculum developers and companies in the ed space to provide a curriculum and they're counting that that curriculum and those materials that they're going to implement in their classroom are equitable and that they make sure they reach every child. Every child should be able to come in and see themselves in the content and the materials that are in the classroom. And so definitely for new teachers, but veteran teachers as well, who really just, they they trust the companies. They trust the education market that they are privy to what's going on and will include every child and have done their research and they're the experts. And so leave it to the experts who created this content and have the degrees there to provide those materials. And sometimes teachers um, will use those materials and realize, oh, it's missing a component and they'll be able to add in and edit. But that provides a lot of extra work for the teacher and extra workload and strain. And sometimes teachers don't even know what's missing or what's there that's inaccurate. So it's really important to make sure those companies are aware of the needs of students and meeting those needs. Well, and maybe this is a loaded question. I know that you've taught later elementary grades for the majority of your career, but do you see the resources coming into your classroom or that other teachers in your school, do, do you see that that responsibility is being upheld most of the time, that it's something that companies treat with care and respect? I, I do not. And that's why I was so excited when I got the position in 2009 that I'm in now where I got to create my own curriculum. It was a lot of extra work, but then I could make sure that every child could see themselves and be exposed to other cultures and other ways of life and different perspectives because I was in charge and then I took that responsibility on, but it would be really lovely if someone else could take that role and let the teachers just teach it. Not all teachers even have the luxury of changing it all. I like to assume that the companies out there, that they are do-gooders, that they, at, at true at heart they are. And what are they missing? I do feel like people have best interest in kids and they're, they're do-gooders. You know, it's been so long. It's been since 2009 that I've looked at curriculum that I haven't created. So I'm sure there's been changes and I'm sure there's been updates and people are trying to get more with the times and more equitable. So I might be jaded in my perspective because it's been a while since I've seen those curriculums. But I know overall, I've heard even from folks in K-12 all the way up through high school, I've heard from people all across the country here in America, in California, East Coast, West Coast, Down South, Midwest, that 
that the curriculum just isn't meeting the needs and the teachers don't have a say. There's some that do more grassroots and the the parents and the teachers and the students, which is really cool, and the students actually get a say in what curriculum is chosen. But what I would be looking for as a teacher is making sure there's diverse representation. When we think of diversity, oftentimes we automatically think of ethnicity or race. And that's, that's part of it, but that's just one part of it. So like we look at intersectionality of people looking at their gender identity. We're looking at their sexual orientation. We're looking at their socioeconomic status, right? So there's all these different branches that we need to make sure that we're representing. Because as a student, if you don't see yourself in what's being taught, automatically you're you're shutting down. I know this from personal experience. You withdraw. You're not interested. It's not engaging if it's not speaking to you. So I feel like the most important piece is making sure that each child is represented. And so making sure when you're looking at your materials, every single, like think of every single possible child. And, you know, I know that seems like a big, pretty hefty um duty, but it's one that can be fulfilled and it should be to make sure every child can say that they've seen themselves in some part of the content curriculum or materials. Besides diverse representation, looking for multiple pathways, right? So a lot of the curriculum that I see currently or in the past two is focused on more Eurocentric norms. And so really kind of looking at like, what are other norms in other cultures? Like uh, oral traditions. Some cultures are really big on verbal expression and artistic expression. Go ahead, Jacob. So, you know, where we're at in Minnesota, I'd say one of the larger ethnic populations is is Somalian or Eastern African. That's mm -hmm. not the case in other parts of the country. Are you saying that companies need to think about this from a, a regional perspective or just as a global perspective, they need to be thinking about that. I think both are important. Depends on who your market is. If you're like a gigantic company that's um, nationwide, you need to think of it on a national level. But if you only mainly sell in your district or your state, then you should focus regionally because you're right. In Minnesota, we have a very large Somali population as well as a Hmong population, right? So mm. that would be important to consider those norms and if it was specific to our region. When I think isn't the the Hmong population in, in Twin Cities or specifically St. Paul's the largest outside of Southeast Asia, isn't it? Or yes, one of the I, largest. I do, I, I do believe so. Yep. I I think we here in Minnesota we ha home um, we're home to the most Hmong people in America. Mm -hmm. Well, are are you recommending that everyone have a DEI person on staff? Um, you know, is this something that you or someone with a lens like you and just look at my existing curriculum and address it or, or, or alter it. Or is this a, we got to start from the beginning and take a look, you know, at everything from the start, you know, can we actually address this or do we need to start over? It's mm. a really good question. I oftentimes question that, like, do we take what we are already have created and built and revise it or do we dismantle it all and start over? And my answer, I think the, my, the best answer is start all over, start from scratch. But that's, again, that's really an arduous task, starting all over. So I think you also have to think about what's reasonable and manageable and actually doable. And if right now it's kind of going through an editing and having someone on staff to look at those those pieces, then that's important. And of course, it's not just the content you have and that there's representation. It's how is it being taught? So that's really important too. Maybe that staff is getting training on how do we teach different perspectives? How do we do different formats? For instance, a Socratic seminar versus a lecture. How do we make sure we're tapping into those different needs of kids?
what does the day in the life look like? What What is your role within your school, within your district? So I'm the um, DEI lead on our PTO. So our district actually does not have a DEI specialist coordinator. I work primarily as a community engagement person to reach out to marginalized families and making sure that their needs are being met and see what I can do to kind of be that bridge between school and home. And I, I teach and I bring all the, the best practices into my own classroom for my own students. But also I'm an instructor at Augsburg University. So I teach diversity in the schools course there. And so making sure that I'm also imparting some knowledge on our future teachers that are going to be going into their class to help them make sure that their classrooms are equitable and inclusive. What are the big things that you're hitting on with those teachers in that course? The, the biggest piece is thinking of student stories and looking at the idea that the students have this great cultural wealth and they come into your classroom. So as the teacher, you're not just there to teach them. You need to take a step back and learn from the students. Because when you stop and you actually listen and hear their stories and hear the wealth that they have from their family and their culture and whatever they happen to bring to school, like you can really learn a lot. And that's how you make your, your content and your delivery and your instruction. That's how you make it relevant is making sure you listen to those kids and connect it back and know their neighborhoods, know their families. And that's really like the biggest overarching kind of piece. Um, the main three themes though are like self, students and relationships and tying that all together. Like you gotta know yourself too. And you gotta know your own limits and what you need to do to research and find out more about your student population. Uh, also, it's really important. A lot of teachers think like, I need my students to pay attention to this. Like my subject is so important. And again, taking that step back to say, what is really important here? Forming that relationship with the students, because that's what they're going to remember. They're going to remember their relationship with you and their experience with you as their teacher, not necessarily what exactly they learned content wise. So building those relationships, learning different community building techniques and taking a look at your own positionality and your own intersectionalities is super important. So you can kind of know where you're coming from and where your lens is and the different lenses of your students and how you can kind of make sure that you're reaching them and valuing and seeing them. I mean, really that, all that advice that you just gave and everything you talked through could be, you know, directed at, you know, any, anyone creating curriculum that's, or, or any content doesn't need, just need to be curriculum going into the, into the classroom. Are there any specific resources, anything that, you know, whether it, it's just for your own classroom that you look to or you point your teachers to to say, you know, these are some good things that you can look at that really, you know, are some good exemplars or, you know, just places that you can, you know, bank on to get good advice. You need to research the school that you're in. So the biggest resource, oftentimes we think like we need to look to a PhD or we need to go to the best newest books, you know, but it's the people in your community. That's where the wealth is. The, get out there, talk to the families. What are their experiences? What are their stories? What are their needs? Talk to the teachers in your building. Talk to your administration. Talk to your custodians. That's the best resource, I would say. And I know um, like that's kind of unheard of to, to like go outside of the resources that are published, but that's going to be tailored to your students too. Those are the people who impact your students on a daily basis. So I say that is the number one resource. That's heart work right there. It's not head work right? That's not reading a book, going to a website. That's hard work, really connecting with people, getting to know them. Where are they coming from? What are their desires, their fears? 
what's been successful for them, what's been hard for them in the schools. And that's when you know there's where I can make a change. In our school, we have movie night. Once a year, we invite parents and families in to watch a movie. And one of the parents brought up that, well, my my child has sensory um, sensitivities and we'd love to participate, but it's really hard. It's too noisy. We said, okay, let's offer a um, sensory specific room where we have it quieter and we have more padded insulation, I guess you would say, to try to meet that need. And, and so that's just one small example of where we can make sure that family can now be included. That was a really good example. I, I was having a conversation with my, my kids and I can't remember how it came up, but it came up that it's like, well, how would you do that if you couldn't hear, if you were deaf, like what would you need to do? And it really, it was interesting to see my little five and seven-year-olds stop to think of how would this be different and what would we need to do if this, you know, if, if we couldn't hear or the person we were interacting with couldn't hear. It's easy to overlook just how much that D, that E, and that I really cover. Mm -hmm. All it takes is a moment to just pause and, and to empathize and think if you were in a different pair of shoes, what, how might you view this situation? What might need to be different in order to meet your needs? Another quick example, I had a student years back that came to me and told me like this, they were born a female and wanted to transition to be a male and said like, I don't feel comfortable using the restroom. I don't know what to do. And so should that child have to hold their bladder all day long because we don't have the type of bathroom that they need or addressing that need? You know, I, I wanted to, you know, kind of be realistic here with companies. You know, some of the things that you're talking about, get to know your students, get to know your families, your community. Some of the folks listening to this may be working at large publishers where that community, like we talked about other spans, you know, dozens of countries, mm -hmm. but especially just across the United States. Others still may be very regional, but covering, you know, 18 states is still a pretty big place. Mm -hmm. How do you think about that at scale? When you look at that, how do you think about that? And what, what advice can you give to make sure that companies can hit on as many of these things as possible? On a larger scale, they can still create surveys or get feedback from different stakeholders, parents students, teachers, just to get an idea of where they're at. I know it's a little bit harder and it's a larger reach, but it can still be done. Like just, you know, throwing like a poll up in their app or something like that. Yeah. I think that'd be really cool. Or like, okay. and it could be really a, just a simple question. Like, what are you happy with and what need are we not meeting? That's just two questions. So they know what they're doing well and what they can continue doing. And then, oh shoot, we never even thought of that wow, we are leaving that particular need out or that population that's marginalized out. And I think just also asking every time you're creating something, who does this center? Who does this marginalize? Who does this hurt? And, and who does this help? And then that helps you. Those are good questions to ask. They're more like critical literacy questions to think about. Like those questions are big questions and help you to just reevaluate and self-evaluate your own content. Now, you may or may not, you know, be able to answer this knowing you you write most of your own curriculum, you know, but maybe from the, the professor side, I have a lot of great clients and all of them that, that I interact with have some form of a, you know, a statement around where they stand on, mm. you know, equity or DEI, you know, is that something that is being taken into consideration as things are being purchased or, or brought into schools? 
if there was a company who took a stance and very actionably said, this is what we're doing to be progressive in this area of diversity, equity, inclusion versus a company who doesn't do that, I would way prefer to to trust and go with the company who's making the strides and efforts. You know, they're not going to get it right 100% and there's going to be mistakes made, but as long as they're willing to to do their research and give it a try and make those efforts, that's really speaks volumes. Can you imagine the people who actually have the power and, and to change things, to actually step in and have a voice and advocate for, for justice and equity? Wow. I mean, I don't know if I'll see it in my lifetime, but if, if you're a company and you do that, <laughs> sold. I hear about some conversations where it's, you know, we just avoid the labels so we can continue to do the good work. And that's the easiest way to go right now is that the work has to continue. And so we are dodging the conversations because if we have to have those, then the work slows down or it stops. Um, it's hard. It's so divisive. And if you pick one side and it's so polarized, like then you have this whole other side that's just upset and angry, right? So it, it is hard, but on some issues, it's just, this is what's right for kids versus, you know, it's right for kids to have them have an accurate, true telling of history. It's right for kids to make sure they're seen. So I'm not asking for someone, you know, things are being so politicized. I'm not asking for my politics to be indoctrinated in the classroom. I'm asking to make sure every kid has their fair shake. And if you disagree with that, I don't understand. But a lot of these issues aren't political. They're just like, what is right for kids? Because if I said, um, I want anti-racism in the classroom, people are going to get upset. Some people are like, yeah. And some people are going to be like, no, I don't want that. Because then it's up to their imagination of what happens. But if you said, I want diverse representation in books, who can disagree with that, Jake? If you disagree with that, that's kind of, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's ridiculous. You know? So there's ways you can say it that don't have those hot button or hot topic, like reactive type words, but who wouldn't stand for every child being able to see themselves in their curriculum? Mm -hmm. Um, it's tough, you know, that no matter what you choose, you're not going to make everybody happy. So I don't envy, you know, a lot of the positions people are in, but I, I think stepping aside from, from any of the hot button issues, you know, going back to, to the root of the conversation we've had here is, you know, that every company without, you know, even voicing their opinion can, can take a stance in what they're creating and what they're bringing to schools. Before I give you the boot, I wanted to just see if there's anything else that, uh, that maybe you wanted to cover, you wanted to add before we, we called it a night. No, I just, again, I think it all just comes back to like, we have to listen to our, our kids and our families and communities. And that's, and education, right? That's huge. Like a lot of the reason why there's such a divide right now in our country is because people aren't willing to learn. And so if we just sit down and talk to each other and, and have that education piece, I think a lot of times we might realize we're actually sitting on the same side of the fence. I think that's, that's some sage, sage words there to, to wrap the conversation. And so to all you out there that are still hanging with us on the Education Insider, I just want to thank you for joining my sister and I, um, my ever-talented um, elementary school teacher here in Minnesota. Um, if any of you have additional questions or anything that that Allie or that I could could weigh in on, you know, please don't hesitate to to let us know. If there's more from this show that you guys want us to dig into, just give us a comment. 
shoot us a note and let us know and we can certainly dig in but uh, i just appreciate y'all hanging with us and we'll see you on the next episode of the the education insider woohoo <laughs>